All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Lilia Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan Jr. Um, before we get into, you know, who our special guest is for today, um, allow me to say thank y'all to everybody who has been supporting the podcast. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, the Lilia Purpose Podcast. Please subscribe, like, review, um, share the podcast, tell a friend, tell a friend. Um, we're also available on audio platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. Um, so please check us out on those audio platforms as well. Again, man, I want to just say thank you to everybody who's been supporting. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback from people who watch the podcast on YouTube, a lot of people who listen to it and digest it, um, audio. Um, a lot of people have been supporting the merch, so I really appreciate that. Continue to support, continue to support. Um, I really appreciate that. I never take it for granted that people support our mission. Um, again, for those who, who are not aware, the Lilia Purpose Podcast is a space where we have um, entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs specifically, and we talk to them about their, their, their backstories. Um, but we also, you know, here to have a organic and authentic conversation where the goal is to really, um, uplift, empower, and to build the consciousness of people. You know, we, we, we want to serve each other, but you know, the goal is to, is to help somebody else. You know, we never want to shy away from what the goal of, of this platform and what this space is, you know, we try to be responsible with our platform. So, um, with, without without further ado, you know, I want to get into, you know, who our special guest is for the day. So we have we have Miss Patrice Horton. She is an entrepreneur, a brand manager, and she's the partner of Element 13. Um, her current clients include Mr. David Gross, if you're familiar with Nipsey Hussle. Um, Dave Gross has done a lot of close things with Nip. Um, he also does some things with, uh, with Vector 90, our, our Opportunity. Um, she also works closely with Christian Kirksey. It's actually funny because the Browns got us a playoff game uh, win last night. Um, and Christian Kirksey used to be a beast linebacker for the for, for the Browns, but now he is, you know, playing with the Packers. Um, and she is also working closely with Mookie Betts. Um, if you're a baseball, if you're a baseball fan at all, um, you cannot be a baseball fan and not heard that name, Mookie Betts, um, current champion of the of the LA Dodgers. Um, so that's just to name a few names, you know, of of of, of some of the client lists of, of who our guest is today. So, Miss Patrice, what's up with you? Thank you so much for coming on. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Um, very excited to be here today. I think I told you before, I don't do this often, but right. I thought this was a great platform just to keep, you know, other entrepreneurs encouraged. Um, so I'm so happy to be here today and, you know, let's rock out. No doubt, no doubt. So again, we want to get into your backstory a little bit. So let's let's start at the very beginning. You were originally from Cleveland, correct? Yes. Now, when you when you reflect back on Cleveland growing up when you were a kid, what's some of your like just fondest, earliest memories of being a kid growing up in the city of Cleveland? Um, so I'm a music head, and it's probably because my father helped curate the music scene in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, so I just recall being a little girl watching my dad, like he had these two turntables in our dining room mm -hmm. and just watching him just like scratch all day long. Um, so I loved music. Like I could listen to music, you know, I actually, to this day, I wake up to music. I go to bed to music. Um, but I would have to say, um, the fondest memory is when, um, Tupac Shakur was in town mm. and my parents were going through a rocky they were about to get a divorce <laughs> and my dad ran a 
hip hop magazine called It's a Rap. And he was like on the phone and he was like, oh, we secured the Tupac interview. And they was like, yeah, but you got to get there in the next 30 minutes. He like, I got my daughter with me. I'm about to take her to school. But literally, like, he didn't have time. And I was like, as soon as I heard him get off the phone, I was like, daddy, I want to go. Right, right. So we ended up going to a studio. Um, and I remember he was like, don't tell your mama you ain't go to school. But the school ended up calling my mom oh, to tell her, this is in the school. And, yeah, and my dad didn't call me out. So... I remember my dad picking my mom up from work and my mom was like, why didn't Patrice go to school? And I was like, I'm at Tupac Shakur. Mm, and they was in the midst of going through a divorce. And they're in the midst of like getting ready to go through a divorce. So she was like, yeah. you not taking my child to school? So she can, you can go interview somebody for this magazine. Like she, <laughs> I, I'll never forget it. And I'm sitting in the back seat like, but it was amazing. Right, like, right, right. And I understood like, so celebrities were never, I was kind of used to it. My, they were always around because my father interviewed them for the magazine when different rappers would come into town and even R&B um, musicians would come into town. They would get interviewed for the magazine. We would have them over to our house. Um, so the celebrity thing never really like amused me, but it was something about Tupac that I was just like, I had to be there. Wow. So I think that's what I remember. I remember growing up in music, you know, just engulfed in it all around. Um, and I always knew as a little girl, I'm gonna work in the music industry. Like, and I never wanted to be like a singer <laughs> or anything like that. But my mom was the businesswoman. So it was like, I want to tell people what to do. I'm real bossy. So it was like, I'm going to tell people what to do. I want to get stuff done. I want to work in the music industry. I knew that as a little girl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's dope. So what, what, what year was this? Mm, this probably had to be like 91, 92. Oh, so this is early in Pac's career at that. Yes. So my father has started, I mean, way before I was born, uh, he was DJing. Um, if you're from Cleveland, you know, like the St. Clair area, he was DJing something called Beckham, Beckham Hall. Um, and it would just be sold out every weekend. So he was, my dad's name is DJ Johnny O. So he was very well known um, for his skills. Um, he worked for Motown. He worked for Def Jam. He's worked for a lot of the different labels. And so at that point in time, he had one of the biggest rap hip hop magazines and anybody who I wanted to meet crisscross. It was like, okay, I'm gonna call Michael Malden up and we're gonna go backstage. I think I met crisscross every time they stepped in Ohio. <laughs> and see, it's, it's so crazy because in 2021 to say you met crisscross, it don't, it don't hit the same. Right. In the early 90s, if you said that you met crisscross, mm -hmm. and that was a serious thing, man. So that's, right. a, you know, people, some young people are not going to really understand the, the, the seriousness of what you're talking no. about. Right now. They want everything. That's a fact. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. So you were in, so you were actually like in the room with your father as he was conducting the interview with him? In the corner. I, I understood uh, that when my dad was working, I didn't talk, I didn't ask for anything. And I learned that lesson at a very young age. Sometimes you have to just sit in the room and absorb yeah. the information that you hear. 
And instead of always talking, it showed me things that maybe I want to do or knowledge, you know, even at a young age, maybe I didn't fully understand it, but I heard certain things about, you know, standing up for black people, you know, we got to stick together. I heard those things at a young age, but yeah, my father, we, we had a bond, like we had an understanding. So it's no surprise that I'm in the industry that I'm in now, because this, this wasn't like new to me. It was, it was easy for me to understand and grasp the concept. When daddy is working, you just sit there and be quiet because you're really not even supposed to be here. Yeah, but see, that's so, but see, that's so, that's so powerful of just like, you know, um, and I don't even necessarily know if your father was doing it intentionally, but unconsciously he was showing you some things and you were literally observing them. It's always interesting about children because it's not always about what you tell kids, you know, they, they, they do what they see, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's about what they see you do. So, for you to see your father conducting interviews and just doing this type of work in this industry, it ultimately, you know, played played a huge role in, into your life. So that's so that's amazing. Do you? It do you was, yeah, anything? it was the exposure, you yeah. know. And I'm a firm believer on even with any of my clients when we're doing work in the community. My thing is not okay. We're gonna go drop these gifts off, or we're gonna feed these kids a pizza party. How do we touch these kids long term? Mm-hmm. How do we open doors for them to where they say? Hey, when I met Mookie Betts, like it wasn't just a meet and greet. His team reached out to me. They saw something in me. They gave me opportunity because I'm a firm believer that when we um, when we give our kids exposure, we give them a new light on life. Like they see something that they've never seen before. They've been around things and exposure. It's it's a beautiful thing, right? I remember the first time I was on a private jet with a client, I was like, listen, if I can't ride like this all the time, I don't want to do this. Right. I, I just don't want to do it. Because when I had to get on that commercial flight, I was like, so I can't just get on the plane when I want to? Like, it, I was exposed to something. So then it made me work harder. It made me say, okay, I need to get to a certain level of life so I can travel like this, live like this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, exposure, exposure is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Is there is there anything that you remember specifically about Park and from that time or were you just too young? It was just I no, yeah. I don't remember much in that moment. I yeah. remember just kind of absorbing the room. And literally maybe a few months later after that, my father then interviewed Biggie. Wow. And I remember like, dad, why you ain't take me? He was like, it was too late. But I just remember like looking at all of the pictures and being in awe of it. So when Biggie died, okay, now I'm in like fifth or sixth grade. I had pictures of Biggie and my dad and everybody was like, that ain't real. That ain't real. Because really I was kind of raised, you don't brag about what we do over here. We just do it. So yeah, I don't quite remember vividly like about Pac, but I remember being in that room. Yeah, that's still that's still powerful. I mean, you were still, a, you know, around one of the most legendary, iconic artists, you know, ever. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's right. amazing to say, you know, you're going to be able to share that forever. You, you right. Know so that's, that's an amazing feat. Listen, we, we coming off of one of the most, you know, historical and tumultuous years um, ever. I mean, even when I speak to, you know, my elders, my grandparents and, you know, people who have lived a long time, they've never seen a year like we just had in 2020. So like, 
I know I know for me personally, it was a an extremely trying years, an extremely um it was an extreme year about just growth and just evolution as a whole. I mean mm-hmm. and intention. So for you specifically, what do you think you learned about yourself mentally and spiritually in 2020 specifically, dealing with the pandemic, just dealing with the world just kind of being, you know, being completely different than what's what we once knew it as? Um whew. I know that's a load. I know that's a loaded question. It's early too. <laughs> so it's crazy to start the conversation off talking about my dad. Um, seven years ago, I gave my dad a kidney, which compromised his immune system. And my my immune system isn't compromised, but COVID attacks the organs and it had been known to attack the kidneys, the heart, the lungs, the most, right? Um, So the pandemic had me on edge and had my anxiety going like, I couldn't sleep. It was like, oh my goodness, because now I'm reading reports, you know, our doctors are calling us, you know, letting us know, hey, please stay in, protect yourselves. We really don't know what this is, but we know that, you know, your father's immune system is compromised. And so as a kidney donor, the the worst thing, the thing that you play in your head all the time is, is he okay? Is the kidney okay? Is, you know, is he doing everything he needs to do? Um, so when I started getting those phone calls and then I started reading the stories, my anxiety was out the roof, like completely out the roof. And I felt, I felt confined. I felt, cause I'm such a busy person. It's like work, 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 work. Okay. I got to get on this car. I got to do this. Um, I felt confined cause it was like the world was shutting down and it was something that I hadn't done in over 15 years. So um, the first few months were crazy, but then I had to start dealing with myself in those months. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, listen, I am a sister that's all about go to therapy and talk my problems out, you know, with my therapist. I'm okay with dealing with myself. But when I started getting bored, I start finding things out about myself that I was like, you got to stop this. If you want something different, you got to stop this. Right, right, right. And it was just like, even giving people access to me because I was bored or, you know, sitting up on the phone. It's like, girl, get off this phone. You could be doing something different. So in that moment, I had to deal with myself mentally. So dealing with myself, you know, some of my own toxic traits that I have, you know, um, and, and this is me being very transparent, me wanting things done my way, you know, me not knowing how to sit still and being okay in silence, because I'm always thinking about how to get to the, the next level. Yeah. Um, I had to just be okay with it. Yeah. Then I had to also deal with, it's time to start doing inventory on people in my life Mm -hmm. and that was tough Mm -hmm. because some of those people was like baby girl gotta go yeah yeah she ain't for you she's not your friend she's not this is wait or you keep entertaining this person over here who don't even know what to do with with you like what are you doing like or don't lose this person over here because 
really, this is a good person. So I had to deal with so many different thoughts and deal with myself. Um, of course, now, listen, the pandemic had a girl eating nonstop. I think I cook so much. That's why I'm in the gym three days a week. Yeah, yeah no doubt, no doubt. Um, but spiritually, um, my life was turned upside down. I was still trying to work through the pandemic. I was still getting on flights out. And I mean, I am still doing it to this day if I have to, but I was still traveling, not taking it as serious. Came back home from LA from doing a private event and was sick as a dog when I came back. Lost my smell, yeah. lost my taste. I said, oh, because... I thought, nah, COVID can't get me. I'm healthy. I drink my ginger, my turmeric. I'm good. Right, right. Um, I was really, really sick. So I laid there for three days. I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm about to die. I can't breathe. I went to the hospital, tested positive. The same day I tested positive, I got a phone call from my dad that he had also tested positive. And we had no dealings with each other. Like I hadn't seen him in a month. So I'm listening to him breathing and I know it's hard for me to breathe, but he can barely breathe. And I'm like, dad, I think you need to go to the ER. I'm calling his kidney doctor. I'm like, this is really bad. He was like, well, they're not letting us admit people unless, you know, it's really bad. And I said, it is bad. My dad can barely talk. Mm -hmm. Long story short, my stepmom found my dad in the bed, almost gone. Oxygen at 50%. And my father was on a ventilator for 32 days and he had to get a trach. So for two to three months, my dad was in ICU at Cleveland Clinic. Then he was in, he went to two different rehabs before he could come home. Now what and, time, what time in the, what, what's the timeline in the pandemic at this time? This is what, is this like? We're in July. Okay, July, okay. July, so we're in July. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to fight it, but then I'm trying to make decisions for my father. Cause one day it's like, he's good. The next day is, you know, he's declining. Another day he had a good night. Three hours later, mm, we might, we might need to think about hospice services. This is probably it. And I'm like, no. So I mentally was going through it. Like I couldn't sleep. I was on medication that didn't allow me to sleep because they were trying to clear my lungs out. And I'm trying to make decisions for my dad. And I didn't have at the time the best relationship with my stepmom because we just didn't, I, I'm grown. Like we just didn't have a good relationship, but it forced me to get to know her and have a relationship with her and put my, that's my daddy, I, you know, little spoiled girl stuff to the side. Um, so it forced me to do that, but it forced me to dive deeper in God and trust him. Just like I trusted him that I was my dad's kidney donor, I had to trust him to get my dad through something that most people were not making it through in his state. Like we, he told me, he said, cause my dad was, they had to put him in a coma because he was still awake through the sedation. So they had to induce him in a coma. But he told me, he said, I was watching them carry bodies out in boxes. He was like, and he kept saying like, I don't want the trach, just take it out, let me go. Like I was dealing with all of that. So spiritually, I just became a different woman during this pandemic. That's why earlier I told you, I had the craziest Monday today. 
everything I had been planning for two to three months for a client all got canceled today. But I got to a point during this pandemic, I'm not letting anything like affect my energy. I'm not, we just got to figure out another solution. So the pandemic taught me a lot about myself. I had to work on myself and it drew me closer to God. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It's um I heard Dave Chappelle say on a podcast that I listened to him say, he said, he said the most interesting thing about the pandemic is that the pandemic has been a a, a forced self-reflection on everybody's decisions. Yeah. So you sitting down with yourself and you are face to face with your decisions and you have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So people are they living with people they don't really want to be with. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, they looking around, they got kids with people who they don't like. Then you don't like your damn kids. Then you go into the job that you don't like. So it's just this, it's this, it's this forced constant self-reflection where you know we before the pandemic, we were just allowed to just get caught up in our routine and our day-to-day. And we weren't really forced to sit with ourselves, let alone be still. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so being caught and, and being forced to like sit within your decisions, man, that's a hard, hard, hard thing to do. Um, whether you looked at it intentionally and consciously or not, you know, every, right. every, everybody was forced to do so. Um, so I, I completely resonate because it sounds like your it sounds like your faith was tested. You 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 know you, you know the most. Oh, big time! Yeah. And I was suffering through that because my mother, who is also her immune system is compromised due to having cancer and heart failure. Yeah. I know for a fact I gave her COVID. And so she went into the hospital before my dad even went into the hospital. So I was like, if something happened to my mama, oh my God, I ain't going to be able to, like, I was going through it. And I I really had to deal with myself. I really had to really tap into, you don't got no control over nothing. You might control what these clients doing here and there, but God is in control. So just sit back and and chill. He got this. Yeah, that 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 control thing is something that um that I've had to like work out like religiously through therapy. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm still like matter of fact, the whole thing about control is to, I'm learning different like um seasons of that. I'm learning different mm-hmm. phases of what that looks like for me. Right. Um, and letting go of control is like the ultimate, for me, speaking from my own experience, letting go of control is like the ultimate liberating feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so scary. But to do that in a pandemic is like, it's extra, extra anxiety heightened. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I completely understand. I mean, for me, um, in 2020, my mother transitioned in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. that, that in itself, thank you, that, that in itself was just life changing in in itself. You know, my life will never be the same as what what it once was. Um, Died from pancreatic cancer. So her immune system was compromised as well. She didn't pass away from COVID. Um, But still, you know, I had, I also had my my child, um, literally my first son, literally a week and a half before the pandemic broke out. So here I am parenting my first child. My mother is terminally ill. I want to see her because I know she's struggling, but at the same time, her immune system is compromised. So it's all of these, you know, challenges that's just kind of being brought up and mm-hmm. so much control that I do not have. Right. Um, so I had to, you know, kind of adapt and just like, you know, as things begin to just kind of transpire that I had no control over, I had no choice but to to take a step back and just allow God to kind of like, you know, um, take 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 the wheel, <laughs> you, right. you, you know, what I'm so I completely understand that. 
for, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So yeah, that's what the pandemic did for me. Um, yeah. And I'm still working through it because today I was frustrated. Like, it, can this just be over already? Like, you messing up my money. You messing up the stuff I got going on. So, but I did have to sit back as much as I complained about what happened earlier. I had to sit back and say, okay, you're you going to learn this lesson another way. Like, and I had to thank God. I had to say, Lord, you know what? I thank you for giving me clients that still pay me through a pandemic because they didn't have to. I thank you for keeping my family alive because it's so many people. I have friends who lost their parents through this, you know, and I just had to take a moment and get out of my self pity just to show God, like, I am thankful for all of these things that you did that you didn't have to do for me. So yeah, the pandemic, it, it made me really deal with myself. <laughs> like really deal with myself. And I would, I was always a person that I would kind of just kind of go in the shell if I didn't want to talk about something mm -hmm. and just dive myself into work. Mm -hmm. And it got me to a point where it's like, you can't keep running away from stuff yeah. and people and situations. You got to deal with them, you know, at hand, you got to talk it through and it, ma it makes me better in my business with my business partner. Yep. We get a little irritable with people, with each other. We talk it through. Okay, hey, moving forward, can you not do that? <laughs> I didn't like how that went down, you know? Mm -hmm. So it has made me a better person. I look forward to seeing who I will be in the next year or so due to this pandemic. So have you, have you, have you gotten to a place where you have um, appreciated the pandemic? Like you, you taking what, what has come with it and it's like, you know what, I, I needed that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I needed that time to myself. Cause as much as I had to deal with myself and it was days I was waking up like, girl, you messed up. But I needed that time to relax. I needed that time where people weren't just calling me. Oh, I need this done. What about this? When we doing it? Like I needed that time to myself. I needed that time to sleep in, you know, I wake up 5 36 o'clock every single morning. I go to sleep 9 30, 10 o'clock every single day because I know I I'm a grouch when I'm sleepy, but I needed that time to stay up at night and watch movies and kind of get my creative mind flowing. Like I needed that. Like, and the pandemic actually, it gave me time to work on my personal business. Mm -hmm. So I started setting myself up and I feel like I made more money during the pandemic and it wasn't no scams or nothing. Right, right. But I felt like I was so focused. It was like a laser focus where it allowed me to do things that I should have done two, three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I I try to live by the um by the belief system of everything being in divine order. Mm -hmm. And despite me going through a, a hard transition. There was so much that did go quote unquote right for me. And it was so right. much that, you know, that happened in, in the pandemic in the year 2020 that I needed that, you know, you, right. you know, so this, despite all of, you know, it may look like negativity man, all of that stuff was worthwhile and everything still turned out to happen just the way it was supposed to. And I feel more clear in my mind and my spirit mm -hmm. and, and lighter within my spirit and my heart than I ever have, you know, so it, it, it very much was, 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 was necessary. Um, listen, we you 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 mentioned a, a key word earlier um, mm -hmm. when we first started. You said the word exposure um, mm -hmm. early, and you mentioned you, you know your parents. You mentioned your father. You mentioned your mother. Who 
who was your earliest influences or just earliest exposure to just entrepreneurship as a whole? Where where did where was that spawned from? Was that your father? Was that your mother? Or was it, that, some, was it somebody else? That was, um, so there were three people, I would say, or four. So that was both of my dads. So my stepdad, who I never call him step, but just to explain it to you, mm -hmm. he's been in my life since I was five. Mm -hmm. He does hair, but just a pure marketing genius on what he does. Very innovative um owned hair salons um so he gave me the entrepreneurship my father gave me entrepreneurship and my mother just knew how to run their businesses when she was married to my father she knew how to run it married to you know my my dad too she runs the businesses anytime we they open a new salon and now it's a family salon before it was just them too so now it's you know all of us but anytime they opened it, my mother just knew how to run it. She was very classy. She knew how to, you know, set order. Um, she didn't like chaos. So there was always order set in businesses. But my grandfather, he was a hunter. He was retired. Growing up, he was retired. I was spoiled. But I watched him have like one of the craziest businesses that I would see him like rake up so much money and he was a hunter. So before Thanksgiving, it would start like September, around September, October, my grandfather would hunt six, seven days a week. And he would go out there and hunt deer, raccoon, rabbits, Damn. come in the backyard, skin them, freeze them and then cook them for people for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And the way he prepared them was just beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it would be like, so you just made all that money off of going out and hunting? Wow. And it was, it was a real business to the point where I was talking to a friend of mine and she was like, yeah, my mom was talking about this old man who used to make these raccoons and he would stuff the yams in the mouth. And I'm like, yeah, that was my grandfather. He was wow. like the raccoon man. And he would sell the raccoons from at depending on the size, seventy-five to one hundred fifty dollars a raccoon. Damn, yeah, he was clean. He was cleaning up. <laughs> and he was cleaning up because he was getting so many. And I remember him coming home. It'll be a truck full of like he had like a a pickup truck. It'll be a truck full of raccoons. Um, so he just had crazy work ethic. I mean all the way up until he couldn't really do it anymore. And then he also, outside of the holiday season, he would um, breed hound dogs and sell them, three, 4,000 a pop. And we would go in the backyard. He said, if you go back and clean the kennels up, I'll pay you. So, I mean, I really wasn't cleaning the kennels up. I was just back there with my cousins. Right. But I always got paid. <laughs> But I would see him make so much money and he would breed them. And he had like 18, 19 hound dogs in the back off of St. Clair, right in the hood. And we had a swimming pool in the backyard. So, oh, wow, wow. so yeah, so that's where I get my entrepreneurship and that's where I've been exposed to it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. And see, and that's why I asked that question because you, you could tell, I, I, and I think you would agree with this, that you could tell that you being exposed so early on there are direct steps that you ultimately follow just from being exposed to these things, you know, yes. 
unconsciously. So that's 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 super super important. Yes. Um, that that's that's very 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 powerful. So like, but I know ultimately, like you said, you touched on this a few times as well. You said, man, you know, I knew I was going to be in the music industry. You ended up being a role manager for Gerald Levert at 16 years old. You didn't already told me you met Pac when you was right four mm-hmm. years old. Now yeah, you, I was six now, or seven. Now, 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 you, now you're working with Gerald Levert when you're 16, 17. Like, first off, how does that happen? Um, and, and second off, like, what did you learn from that from that experience? my dad both of my dads um so i have a cousin who was in a group that gerald you know founded which was the root boy so joe little Mm -hmm. um both of my dads had a relationship with gerald i was doing my senior project in high school um and at the time i used to watch behind the music on vh1 that was a show Daytuan Thomas from Vibe Magazine, who's now a friend. I used to watch him when I was younger, but he's now a friend. I used to watch him like narrate it and he would talk about everybody in the industry. And I would look at the titles of what people did. And I'm like, a recording engineer, maybe I'll try that because I'm a woman and it's mainly men and I'm pretty. Like this was my thought. So I was, I knew at one point, no, you need to do marketing because you're thinking you're marketing yourself already. Um, and I forget, they interviewed somebody's recording engineer and I was like, that's what I'm gonna do. That's what I'm gonna do my senior project with. So I, I told both of my dads and they were like, okay. And so I told Joe because he was also operating out of the um, studio that Gerald owned. And I said, hey, do you think I can come to the studio and do my senior project? And he was like, yeah. He was like, you know, I'm going to talk to Gerald. Like, yeah, it'll be cool. So I'm working every day with all men. So you already know. It's like, and Gerald will walk in. He'd be like, hey, leave her alone. Like, (laughs) I know her people. Dealing with creeps and all type of shit. Yeah. Leave her alone. She yeah. family. We got to protect her. Right, right. Um, so every single day I got up, I had to be at the studio at 10, a, 10 a.m. I got up and whatever they needed me to do, I did. And he was getting ready for the tour with hmm, Luther Vandross. He was opening up for Luther. I think Michelle Williams was on that tour and somebody else, but he was coming on right before Luther and they had me like calling the venues, asking the venues, do you have this equipment? And I'm like, this is boring. Like, this is not fun. But one of Gerald's cousins who handled production said, hey, meet me at the studio. And it was an awkward time, a time that I'm not typically there. And I'm like, I ain't going to this meeting. I don't feel like it. I'm my senior project over. And I didn't end up going. So they... A rid- they they wanted me to do wardrobe so to handle the wardrobe for the background singers the band and Gerald mm-hmm. so I didn't end up going so I missed out on that opportunity mm. and that was one of the lessons that I carry with me forever what, what like, when somebody calls you just because you don't know what they want or you don't feel like it just go because your blessing is probably on the other end you know, I was so young, like, I want to hang out with my friends. And they were really trying to open a door for me where it was like, hey, we're going to give you this job. Mm-hmm. Um, I was preparing to go to Paris 
like right after graduation. So I'm like, I'm just trying to get ready. And so I missed out on that particular job, which paid like $1,500, $1,600 a week, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a good thing that I missed out on that because I probably wouldn't have ended up in going to college at a certain point. And I probably would have looked for another job doing what I had done for Gerald if I had taken that job. So it was like, when I found out what happened, that he was like, I gave a job to somebody else because we going on tour, you didn't come down here. And I'm like, oh, Ivan, why you ain't just calling me? He was like, that wasn't a call. And so I learned that valuable lesson. And then they ended up finding me what they called a gopher. They said, whatever we ask you to go for, you do it. (laughs) Do it. Right. And I was like, okay, how much is it paying? They said, nothing. I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, are you serious? So I ended up saying, okay, forget it. Because I, I remember exposure is everything. I just need to experience. Just let me in the door and I'm gonna make my way into getting some money. So I started doing spot dates for them. Like I would, you know, or dates that were close to Cleveland because I'm still kind of technically a minor. So I was the baby of the group. Um, And then I started, okay, we're going to have you go to DC with us. Okay. You're going to come to LA and do the Soul Train Awards with us. And so I started getting those opportunities where I could travel with them. And I still technically was a gopher, but then I was like, hey, the road manager need help. Listen, this is how I can help better it. And I just start doing things that I can say, if they're not on time, you can charge them a fee. And then we should send this out to everybody to let them know what time they should be. And he was like, I mean, if you feel like doing all that, go ahead. And I started making a way and I started making money. And a guy named Leonard Brooks, who is Gerald's brother-in-law, but also managed him really kind of took me by the hand and was like, I'm going to show you how to get out here and get it. And when I moved to LA, cause I then moved to LA after the tour was over and Gerald was kind of like settled down cause he's done promoting this album. They always called me for gigs when they came out. So it was like, okay, you in LA, you're going to be Gerald's, you know, assistant for today. So that's, that was like my first, like getting my hands dirty in the music industry. So let's 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 go back a little bit. How does a how does a 16, 17 year old young lady have the discernment to say, you know what, they're not offering me nothing monetarily right now, but the experience itself is going to be extremely valuable. Where does that level of discernment come from? Because listen, me 16, 17, it's no way I'm doing it. It's no way somebody could have told me, do this job for me, and you're not getting paid, and you're gonna do whatever I say. Like, you know what I'm saying? So where, where, where does that come from me and you? Where did you get that from? My parents already been exposed to it. Being exposed and having a, a view of what, at a young age, of what I wanted to do. But then furthermore, just confidence in myself. And that's why it's so important to build confidence in your kids yep. because I had confidence like, all right, y'all ain't paying me this week, but y'all gonna pay me because I know I'm good. I know like I have that personality. You're going to love me. Like you're not, I'm going to make it to where you can't get rid of me. And to be completely honest, I don't know if I told you this, but to be completely honest, I hated school. Hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to nobody's four-year college. 
I got to get it out here. And my mom always taught me relationships are everything. So it was build these relationships with these folks over here. So you really don't have to go to school because I hated school. Like I didn't like to apply myself in school. Now, when it comes to business, I apply myself all day long. If I don't know something, I'll Google it. I'll sit on YouTube. I'll call somebody, but I hated school. And I just felt like I watched Diddy say he was a C average student in school. And, you know, if you go to school, great. If you don't, it's about relationships. He said that on Behind the Music too. And so, true entrepreneur. Yes. And so that was my thing. You got to build a relationship with the people. You got to make them love you. You have to offer them something that where they need you. And, and that's what I did. So I was exposed to it. So it was that exposure And then it was that confidence that my mother instilled in me. It was that exposure that I got from my father, that confidence my mother instilled in me. And then just watching, you know, my grandparents, because I'm an old soul. So I would sit around my grandparents and ask questions all day long. And that's how I found out. I'm the same way. Yeah, that's how I found out about okay, who am I? Like, where I come from? Why I act this way? Okay, I get that from my grandfather. Okay, I know where I get the bossiness from. So it it was those things that my parents instilled in me. And I think just from me being an old soul, I was one of those people, if you tell me don't do this because X, Y, and Z will happen, oh, I'm gonna listen to you because I don't want to make the same mistake you made. So I learned from your mistakes so I don't have to go through that. And that's, that's kind of, I think that's what got me to that place at 16, 17 years old, knowing how to discern. What, what, what'd you learn from, what you learn from Gerald LeVert? You know, we, we talking about, again, we, we saying his name, but people who know legend, you, you know what I'm saying? Icon, like, you know, just unique, just legend all, all the way around. So what, what, what'd, you, what'd you learn from him? He did what he had to do to keep his fans. His work ethic, if that man had to, if we had to go out there and get four dozen of roses to get them women screaming at the front of the stage and going crazy, that's what we did. If he had to roll around to just like get that, oh my God moment, that's what he did. He never half stepped when he touched that stage, whether it was an arena or whether it was a theater, he never half stepped. Like, when I tell you, I'm not just saying this because I worked with him, but I loved watching him perform. I would sit on the side of the stage like, yeah. I love watching him perform because he was such an amazing performer. Mm-hmm. And I think he also got that from his father because yep. Yep. His, his father was another level too, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So, and the OJs, man, come on now, that's- Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we talking about him, but this is this is legendary stuff right now. Yes, and I was able to have that experience. Mm-hmm. And so he never half stepped when he was on stage. Mm-hmm. He gave his all in everything he did. Like even when he was cussing the team out, like he was pissed. But he never half stepped and he wanted everybody to win around him. Mm-hmm. You know, he I remember I can't remember what song they were writing. I don't even know if it was a hit. I can't really remember, but 
he was writing a song for someone and they couldn't think of a word, right? He might've been in there with like Mickey Howard. They couldn't think of a word, like the next word. Howard, another another underrated legend for real. You, you, you dropping a lot of names and you just saying it real subtle. Like yeah, people may not get it, but I get it. I'm with you. And so I'm sitting there and I just say, why don't y'all use this word? And everybody looked at me. He said, yeah, we gonna do that. But he looked at me in disgust. And I'm like, did I do something wrong? So he had his cousin pull me out. And, you know, he kind of gave his cousin that look. And his cousin was like, his cousin's name was Ivan. Ivan said, don't ever do that. I'm like, what did I do? They, they were stumbling. He was like, because now we got to give you credit on the song. You can't sit in there and give people words to use because now we got to give you credit. And I was like, oh, well, give me credit then. He was like, then we got to break down percentages. I said, okay, listen, I won't do it again. I apologize. Y'all got to give me credit. It's cool. So I went back into the studio and Gerald was like, don't do that no more. And I was like, okay. I said, I'm sorry. He was like, it's okay. You didn't know. But he was like, did Ivan explain it to you? And I said, yeah, he did. He said, okay. He was like, it ain't no problem giving you credit, but we already got the credits broken down. I just don't want it to get sticky. And I'm like, I'm just happy to be in here learning of how he was writing. He was just writing the song and he was singing it and flowing. And I was like, this is really cool. You know? So I think his work, work ethic and just his love for his people you know, I I wish he was still around because I know he would still be making timeless music. Did you ever did you ever deal with any level of like you felt guilty for like some of the privileges that you had from you know from your parents and your father you know ultimately exposing you to things, but literally uh, assisting you in your development, but putting you in, in relationships with these with these powerful people and these unique and these these legendary people did you ever deal with any level of like you know what i may not belong here or like you know i didn't work hard for, like was it was it any level of, did you ever deal with any of that at all i still to this day mm. to this mm. day yeah um you know i can be in a group chat and it's everybody like oh what you doing patrice oh no just going to work because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging or my job better than anybody's. Like, I can't just drop and be like to my friends, oh, did y'all see I got my client in People Magazine and he just proposes. I can't do that. You tone it down. So to this day, you know, it's times where I feel guilty. It's times where, you know, I always had a drive, but and then I have very high tasting things. Now I'm a humble pie now, but where I lay my head when I'm out of town and the food that I eat every day, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so exquisite. You, you, you investing, you, you, you yeah. investing in it. I ain't nothing wrong with it. And then I've been exposed to certain things. So if I go to an event, like, I mean, you might see it on my face, like, ugh. But I've been exposed. I, I know this ain't, this ain't it. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I have always tried to kind of bring it down and I, I don't like to dim my light or dumb anything down for anybody, but there are times where I, yes, I feel a little guilty, you know? Yeah. The reason, um, I, the reason, go ahead, go ahead, finish. 
not that my job is better than my cousin who is a nurse or my sister who is a hairstylist because we clearly need them. We need everybody, right? Correct. I think the industries that I work in have just been glorified. Yep. Um, so yes, I do deal with guilt and I deal with, uh, how, how do I make this sound like I'm not bragging, but I want to tell people what I'm doing too. So yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. And the reason I ask that question is because Listen, the, the, the goal is to always make the person who come behind you job a little bit easier. Like, you know, what I'm saying? I think that that's a I think that's something that we can all agree on at the most simplistic level. Um, right. But that is a that is a concern that, you know, I think that especially us as black folks have. I mean, you know, when we talk about the impact of socialization, the impact of racism, you know, we ultimately talk about things that uh, make us dim our value down. You know what I'm saying? So it's a, it's just such an interesting concept that, you know, your parents and your, your people, they work real, real hard to ultimately help the people who come after them, which would be you. And, right. you know, you put in these, you know, these legendary moments at such a young age. Um, I would have, I would imagine that that is a lot for a young person to deal with. Um, right. And especially, you know, I, I can only imagine, you know, being a woman, you know, in, in this, in this industry. At a, oh, at, a, at, a, I, at a young age. My fathers, oh my goodness. They were, their brains were wrecked because it's like, you have to be careful around these men. Yes. These men looking at you like, and I'm like, there is nothing I can do. I've been sh a, a shapely woman and little girl since I was born. There's nothing I can do. So I became very, I was very conservative. Like I, as a, a young girl, I would wear baggier clothes um, to cover, you know, my bottom half because I had hips, I had a butt, like, you know, I was covering that. And still yeah. to this day, I cover yeah. it, yeah. you know, just out of respect, not to put myself in a situation where an older man who may be cool with my, my fathers approached me. Um, and then, you know, nowadays women are going and they showing everything. They're buying their bodies and, you know, they're showing it. I ain't knocking nobody. That's not my thing. I was blessed with it, but I kind of grew up trying to protect myself, but also protect, you know, my father's fears. Yeah. And I don't, if I hear this nigga, and, I and I'm like, already know. Hey, already that, know. Okay. They not. Right. And if that happened, you tell me. And I'm just like, I'm not because you're going to go bunkers. Like, yeah. um, but I was very, just the way I was taught to carry myself because, you know, I did work around these men and I worked around men who were powerful. I worked around men who could make a decision for me in a second. And, you know, that was one thing my mom taught me, like, don't sleep with nobody to get something done. That's Don't right. be that girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So I, you know, yes, it I felt guilt. Um there was some I never feared for my life because I felt like people protected me. I would definitely big brother, little brother, everybody around me so that they didn't try to hit on me. Not that that always worked, but yes, it I'm was saying, I'm sure that I'm sure that didn't always work. Yeah, it didn't always work. But once I, sometimes I would, you know, big brother them and they'd be like. Uh, I'm trying to be big bro. Why you put me over there? Yeah, so, <laughs> right. um, but yes, it, it's definitely, it's 
it's very hard being a woman in this industry still to this day in sports. I actually ended up in the sports industry because Gerald died. Mm-hmm. Wow. How did, how, did, how, how did you pivot into that? Um, so maybe about six or seven months before he passed, I knew he was getting ready to go to Africa. Um, and he had told me about to drop this new, this new album. He was like, you going out on tour? I was out of the club in Cleveland. And I'm like, yes, because I was, now I'm in Columbus taking courses, right? I lived in California for a year, came back to Ohio because it was too much for me. Um, I'm in Columbus taking courses, came home to go out and I ran into him. And so I'm like, yes, get me out of Columbus. I can make some money. Um, And maybe it was about a month later, he passed away. I was doing a photo shoot and found out he had passed away. And immediately it was like, what the hell am I going to do now? And Gerald was young too. He wasn't even 50 years old. Was he was in his No, he wasn't 50 yet. He was young. Yeah, yeah. He was young. He had died from an accidental overdose. He had the flu. So he was taking medicine for the flu. And then he took something else. I can't quite remember what happened, but he took something else. And then he, his cousin found him deceased. Wow. In the house, so yeah. Um, rest in peace to the legend Gerald Levert, man. Rest, rest yeah. in peace, man. You know that's again. I could have worked for him forever. Like honestly, that's just how fun it was. His his fans were fun. Being on the road with him was fun. I could have worked with him forever. Like I and that to me was like my goal. And that's why I said his death is how I got into sports because I was so down about his death. Um, an old friend of mine was like, listen, we in Columbus, Ohio. Your best friend is on the football team. We're going to get out here and we're going to get this money with them. So it really, it was like a college girl. And I'm like, okay, so this is the business I want to do. Um, I formed the business. I'm like, we're going to do events, but if we're doing events for these athletes, they got to give back in the community. And this was prior to them making it. Um, I had a few friends who went on to the NFL, you know, prior to me building this business, Will Smith, who, um, God rest his soul, legend, another legend, New Orleans Saints, um, Mm -hmm. me and him became very, very close. And I kept telling him, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And he was like, you can do it. Like, just do it. Um, Dante Whitner, who, you know, he was a little bit younger than me. He was about a year younger than me, but he came to school early. So he ended up being drafted. Troy Smith, Ted Ginn, all of these guys are there. And it's like, I know them. Will Allen, who played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like I knew them. So they would call on me and say, hey, I want you to do this. Um, Dante ended up calling me and saying, I'm gonna get y'all Troy Smith's Heisman party. Cause at this time I'm running a nightclub in college and he got us the Heisman party. And when I tell you, it was like an amazing party. We didn't get paid. (laughs) And I was like, what did I learn from this? Like have everything in writing, get a contract, get a deposit before. Like it taught me so much. Um, cause as savvy as I was at a young age, I was just taking people's word. Like, you're not going to play me. I wasn't setting my rate prior to accepting something because I'm like, I just want to get it. Like, I want to say I did it. 
Um, so I didn't end up getting paid from that. And I was like, crush. Like, y'all ain't gonna pay us at least a thousand dollars. Like, y'all just spent all this money, y'all not gonna pay us nothing. And it was just Troy was transitioning from someone who he who thought they were gonna be the agents to the actual agents. Um so it was, you know, it was just a lot. I had to learn a lot in college, but I did. And um, I remember calling Will Smith and I said, listen, this is the business that I'm going to start. Can you help assist out? Mm-hmm. And he was like, what's your bank account number? He was like, hey, you better start this business. You better not be going out of town. You better not be going shopping. You better start this business. And three days later, I had $5,000 in my account. And that's how I started the business. And then it just started picking up because I became serious. Like, okay, we're going to do this event planning business and we're going to make sure everybody gives back. But that's how I transitioned into working with athletes. Um, and so so Tough Love was ultimately started after Gerald Laverse transition. Yes. And you using a valuable lesson that your mother gave you, which is utilizing and leveraging your relationships with these mm-hmm. people that you knew. And it started to become an event management uh, and, and, just, and, and just an event uh, space after having an experience where you got played from doing, from doing a party. Yeah. So here we are again, everything being in divine order. Every, everything is very much, you know, connected and everything is very much useful. Yep. Everything. So, so how did, so how did, you know, as, as, as you do begin to like build, build your business, you do begin to build t- tough love. Like, talk a little bit about, like, what some of those events were and, like, you know, again, what you learned in those experiences. So once I began to build Tough Love, we knew that we had the name Tough Love. And Tough Love came from my mother was very heavy in the community. And I remember seeing her in the inner cities. Like, she would write grants and then she would implement these programs and she would lead these programs. And I remember saying, my, why do these kids love you so much? You so dang on me to them. Uh, y'all, they don't know the real. <laughs> and she like, because I give them something they don't get at home. Right. And I'm like, what? Because you mean, like, if you was yelling at me like this, I'm jumping on you. Now I got to fight your kids. Mm-hmm. But they loved her. Like, she would cuss them out. Like, if you don't get your little fat ass, I'm going to throw your ass out in the lake. Like, don't you talk to my child like that. Like, she would just go in, right? Mm-hmm. And she was like, cause I give them tough love. Some of these kids ain't never heard I love you. Right. Some of these kids not used to being corrected. 100%, 100%. Then when I would hear her like up late at night getting phone calls, young girls like, you know, my stepfather just raped me or I'm pregnant, help me Mrs. Blue. Like, and she would be like, get up out of her bed and get to these kids. So when I started Tough Love, and I had a partner at the time. I started Tough Love and we were trying to figure out what the heck is our name going to be? And I'm like, how do we want to work with our clients? Like, what do we want it to be like, you know, in our business? And we kept saying family oriented. I'm like, okay, well, we can't be the yes people. Like, I don't want to be the do boy, do girl type, you know, staff. And I'm like, tough love like that's how we were raised so that's what we're going to give to our clients because in time they're going to love us forever because we didn't tell them yes or we corrected them when they were wrong and we always have their back 
And that's how Tough Love started. It was just strictly events. Um, Dante Whitner called us and said, listen, I never had a birthday party, which was a lie. <laughs> um, he said, I never had a birthday party. His mom was like, I got pictures when we was singing happy birthday to him. And he was like, I want to do it really big. And I'm like, okay, what's your budget? He was like, it's no budget. Mm. I said, whoa. And I didn't know how to charge at that time. I'm like, do I charge him 1500 for no budget? Like, what do I do? And he was like, I want to have an all white party. I want a tiger. I want to have a party in the mall. I want singers to come. Like, I just want a, an amazing weekend. And so I'm like, okay, well, who do you want? He was like, I don't know, figure it out. So I started saying, all right, who do I want to work with? Who do I want to get to know? Who do I want to say was there at this party? And the first person that I'm like, we got to have Monica come sing happy birthday. So that's where my relationship with Monica started was at Dante Whitner's birthday party in 2007. Mm. And, you know, it blossomed and bloomed. And so now she's one of my best friends. And so that's how I would position myself. Who do I want to work with? Who do I want to know? You know, how would this add value to me? How would this add value to my client? Um, so that was a party. It was three days. It was a bowling event. It was a birthday party, birthday party number one, birthday party number two. Um, and it was just, I mean, people still talk about that party to this day. Um, uh, we had a white tiger on a white carpet. <laughs> um, and that was that was the that was the event that really took me to another level. Like I could tell people, if you don't have a budget of this, I can't do it. Right. Um, it 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 gave me exposure. So now, okay, his teammates are like, okay, those girls did your party. Okay, what else do they do? And then I was getting ready to move to Atlanta. And he was like, no, stay in Cleveland because now I want you to handle all of my stuff. Right. And I'm like, all of your stuff, like what? He was like, my PR, my events, my community outreach. And he was like, what y'all need to stay? And I'm like, well, I was getting ready to move to Atlanta. And he was like, nah, I'll put y'all in an apartment. I'll give y'all the money for it. You can furnish it, but just stay here. So I literally, for three seasons, drove from Cleveland to Buffalo every Sunday for a game. And he was playing with the Bills. He was playing with the Bills. Mm -hmm. Um, then he just went through some different things. So I'm learning PR as I'm working with him because now he's getting into some altercations off the field. He's getting tased and things are happening. People are robbing him. So now I'm dealing with it and I'm completely overwhelmed. I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. I'm dealing with the family. I'm dealing with, you know, mistakes that he's making off the field like I'm really like that Olivia Pope for him mm -hmm. um and I learned a lot about it because about myself in that time because I'm like I'm doing more than what I'm paid for I'm not supposed to do this because now I can't even bring another client in because I am solely his everything like I need to go yeah, I need you to go do this with my mom. I need, it was just a lot. It was a lot for a 23, 24 year old. Um, but he was a blessing. I cannot take away from that. He was a blessing. He taught me so much. He introduced us to other players. Um, he gave us so many different opportunities to learn and be put in different situations. So I always 
am thankful for that opportunity to work closely with him. Mm, yeah, that's, listen, listen, I always say that my greatest blessing is the people that I've been connected to. You even took yours up to another level, you know what I'm saying? The people that you've been, been connected to, but it's a but it's a beautiful thing, um, especially because it sounds like it's all about, you know, having genuine relationships first. And then right. just utilizing, listen, let's figure out how we can really get some money and let's figure out, you know, what it is yep. I want to do, what it is that I want to do, and let's 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 make it work. Um yep. listen, you you talked to me a little bit about this, you know, off off the on the phone earlier. You said, man, the success hit early. You know, you was making a lot of good money. A lot of success early on, young, but ultimately a lot of success so fast to a young person is not always good. And some will argue that it's never really good. Right. Um, and, you know, that's when the depression and things like that kicked in. Talk to mm -hmm. me a little bit about just like the experiences of success so early and how that ultimately led and snowballed into, you know, um, you just having, again, dealing with some depression and just dealing with some other things as well. Um, so success hit really fast. Um, there came a point where, you know, we stopped working with Dante. Um, and, and it had to do with, I don't think we were mature enough to communicate, Hey, I'm working with this other person. Monica had called. She said, Trice, I need you to cast my video. I need Terrell. Mm -hmm. Terrell said yes for her forget which everything to me video two days before the video shoot, he backed out of it. As he's backing out of it and I'm getting a phone call, I see Chad Johnson walking past me. Now, I've had interaction with Chad before. Like, we knew each other. We had each other's numbers. I said, okay, I got the perfect person. I'll call you back. <laughs> so I called his marketing manager at the time who I was cool with and who I had worked with with other athletes. And I said, listen, I need Chad to do me a favor. I wanted to reach out to you first, you know, before I... um." Before I call him, can we get this done? Chad turned around because he must have saw him. He turned around. We were in Miami for Super Bowl. And he was like, I got you. Like, let's make it happen. We were on a private jet. That was my first time on a private jet. I knew in that moment, I'm like, oh, my life is changing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so from there, Monica asked me, hey, you want to go on tour with me? And I'm like, oh, this is that music opportunity I wanted again. Yeah, this is it right here. And they announced the, the video release, you know, on 106 and Park back in the days, they used to have the video releases and Monica shouted me out. And then three days later, Chad was on ESPN and Disney World and they asked him about the, um, they asked him how he got in the video and he shouted me out. Mm -hmm. Next thing I know, all my steady clients was firing me because they like, okay, now she about to get caught up in, you know, in Chad. And Chad is the biggest NFL player at this time. He's just been said, they just, USA Today had just said he was the most influential person on Twitter. So I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. I called Chad crying like, y'all didn't mess me up. And he said, well, what happened? I said, oh, my gosh, fire me. Uh, I'm, too like, I'm too lit, Chad. <laughs> he like, they did? So I, he was like, I'm going to call you back. And I was ended up talking to Monica. She was like, well, I knew that was going to happen, but you got a job on tour. It's all good. I'm like, nah, like, I know you can't pay me enough. Like, at that time, I'm I'm making probably about eight to 10000 a month. 
Um, so I'm like, nah, like, mm -mm, this ain't gonna work. And I'm panicking. Chad ended up calling me back like, baby girl, how much money they paying you? How much you getting paid a month? And I'm like, like eight to 10,000 a month. Like that's a lot of money for a 25 year old woman. No kids. So he like, oh, okay, that'll be in your bank account every month. Just tell me, get, send Barry the information. That was the assistant that was working in the office. And I'm like, but what you want me to do? He was like, we'll figure it out as we go along. And I'm like, oh. So I started paying attention to Twitter and just how people were amazed about him. And I started seeing the opportunity. So you know how I always could see the opportunities even at a young age. And I said, okay. So I proposed to him, you don't even got to pay me nothing a month. I'm going to start tweeting. You start reposting me and tweeting me, telling people I'm the go-to person and you don't got to pay me that a month. But what I will do is I will do your bookings. So at the time, his hourly rate was $25,000 an hour for an appearance. So we're doing four or five of them right. easily. Right. You know, then I, I have you, this you commission off, off of these or commission. So we're doing four or five of them a month. Then he's still like looking out. And what's your, what's your percentage on the commission? At the time it was, it started off at 25%. And then. That's good money. I, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, man, we doing so much of this. Just give me 20%. Right, because right, right. I was always, I always wanted to be fair. Cause I'm like, somebody else can come up and be like, I'm only going to charge you 10%. Yeah. So, but he's just a very loyal person. So I always wanted to be fair. Um, now I'm on a roll with. Monica as well, working her tour. Um, Chad is letting me book him. Then at the time he's now dating Evelyn. So now I'm managing Evelyn as well. She getting 10 pop every city we going into. And then we're, I'm working them together. So the money start coming fast and on a different level. Now I'm being exposed to major networks. Right. It's taking me everywhere. I'm learning stuff that I didn't know before. It's coming in so fast that I can get up and go out of town when I want to, you know, and I can do things that I want to. And now my taste is different in food. I'm eating at five-star restaurants three times a day, you know? Then I start, I'm stressed out because there's stuff going on behind the scenes, right? So I'm drinking more. And when I'm stressed out, I go to the beach and I drink and I spend money. And I'm really blowing money fast, like no lie. Thinking, okay, next month we got five gigs. I'll get it back. And my dads would be like, save your money. Make sure your credit is right. And I'm like, what the hell with y'all? I'm good. You're right, yeah. Um, and I think, I want to say an incident happened that I won't speak on, but an incident happened. And I was like, oh, this shit going to end soon. Mm -hmm. I got to get this figured out. Mm -hmm. Um. And I remember just not being happy. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't Chad. It, and I'm very open about this. It was more so Evelyn. Like I saw things going left. And she was a fun person. No lie. She was a fun person. But I just saw things going left. And I just, I was like, uh-uh. I'm about to be out of here because I don't agree with y'all getting married. I don't agree with y'all doing a show. Like, I first I was thinking about his children and I was thinking about his career on the field and I knew it was affecting him already. 
And so the moment I voiced that, I knew she was going to have me out. And that, that incident happened and I was out. And I remember just telling Chad, like, hey, I'm going to be here when you need me. Because I knew he would need me again. I saw where it was going. Um, so we didn't talk for maybe two or three years. And straight out of jail, he called me and was like, I need you. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hold a grudge or anything because my mother always taught me the same grace that one day you'll need, you have to give to other people. And sometimes you're the only example of forgiveness or you're the only example of being like Jesus. Mm -hmm. So you have to forgive and move forward. And I expressed to him, I was hurt. Like thought we was like riders for life. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, he was very apologetic, but I got in there with the trenches with in the trenches with him. I said, listen, I get it. The money's not coming in no more. But however we have to do to help fix you, like, let's do it. But I was spiraling because prior to him calling me, that depression started sinking in because now it's like, I put my life into y'all. I, you know, shut down other clients because I was making so so much money with you all. I literally, my world revolved around Chad and Evelyn. And so when I stopped working with them, I moved back home. I'm sleeping on my mother's floor. Like I'm crying every day. I just felt so depleted because I had put so much into them. And that taught me a lesson. Don't put all your eggs in one basket and not to put people on a pedestal because everybody changes. And when you're no longer beneficial to people, they will throw you away. Yeah. So that was that was that moment where I was able to deal with myself. That was like a pandemic moment. Mm-hmm. I was able to deal with myself. Um, and I drew that's where my the real strong relationship with God was established. Yeah. So so what 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 were you doing with, with, with Chad and Evelyn? Was it were you managing them? Was it all PR stuff? Like what was the what was the day-to-day things, like PR? Um, whatever, whatever Chad and Evelyn needed. Yeah. With Chad, I was more, it had become like a sister and brother relationship. Hey, I need you to go do X, Y, and Z and move this around it. Like, yeah, it was more of a brother and sister relationship. So yeah, so whatever needed to be done for them is, um, is what, you know, I did, whether it was fix it i was a fixer for them so you know so the money is coming in the success is high you getting access to to different people you've been exposed to different things that you never were were exposed to you had you really live in a lifestyle that a lot of people on the outside looking in would, would love to have but you touched on it you said you you wasn't you wasn't happy you you know you know what i'm saying so like Ultimately, again, you said you end up going back home, sleeping on your mom's floor, but then you said you seeked out somebody professionally. You ultimately went to therapy and counseling. Mm-hmm. Where, again, I asked you this question earlier, but where did the discernment of going to counseling come from? Because now we live we live in a society today in 2021 where therapy is much more on the front lines and it's much more talked about and being, being a, a part of our natural conversations, more so, especially for Black folks, more than this has ever been. Right. 
you talking about 2015, 2016, 2017, this wasn't, this still wasn't like a, you know, a, a typical thing to do. So like, you know, where, where did, where did that come? How did, how did you, how did you get into counseling from there? So I went and got, when I moved back home, I said, I'm not working with no more athletes. <laughs> I work with no more famous people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate everybody. I'm going to give me a nine to five job. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was sat there, there, I was out there with the devil. <laughs> I sat there at my desk every day. Yeah. And a girl came up to my desk and she was like, I knew you, you did something else. I knew it. And I was like, what you talking about? And she was like, I knew it. That's why you sit over here. You don't talk to people. I knew you was different. I knew it was something about you. And I'm really like, what are you talking about? Right. And she was like, she showed me her phone. She went like this. And I said, I looked over. I said, she was watching Basketball Wives. <laughs> you was on Basketball Wives in the cut. <laughs> and, and I went in the cut. I had a whole speaking piece. And she was like, I kept saying, I've seen this girl somewhere before. And she was like going around our department and telling everybody. And I'm like, Jesus. Okay. So then people had, you know, questions like, well, you know, and so I would like sneak out of work or I would be handling business like outside. And um, I ended up telling my my boss because he was like the manager of the department. So he was like, so you work with you work with athletes because now they're Googling my name. Right. And you see me attached to Chad or you see me attached to Dante. And um, I'm like, yeah, I do. You know, I'm trying to be very modest. Yeah. You know, that was an old life, but I'm not doing it six months ago. But I'm I'm not doing it anymore. But yeah. And he was like, he found it very cool, but I, I saw them treat me differently. You know, some in a, a great way. Some was like, yeah, you don't want to come into work? No worries, Patrice. Right. Can I get tickets? Like, and then some, it was just because you do this, don't think you about to get away with this or very hard on me. Like, so I said, okay, this is not going to last long. And my grandmother, so this is what happened. My grandmother, my grandfather passed my mother's heart failed she went into heart failure my grandmother passed a few weeks later and i'm operating just operating i'm planning funerals like okay not crying not doing anything i'm just operating um went through some turbulence and my mother that she finds out she has breast cancer my world was wrecked I'm like dang my dad just went through this now this is happening my grandmother passed my grandfather it was just like one thing after another gut punches after gut punches I'm still also living in fear like now I'm working this nine to five I know this is not for me you know I'm not knocking a nine to five at all but I know this is not for me this is not my purpose I know what I'm supposed to be doing but that situation from Evelyn and Chad had me so scarred I was like living in fear from living in my purpose and actually doing the work that I know I was put here to do. 
So when my grandmother passed six weeks before she passed, she told me, you need to quit that job. And she called me on my work phone and told me this. You need to quit that job. You need to write your book. You need to get back to working because you're much more happier when you're working with good clients. Mm. So I'm like, you can't call my job saying that. (laughs) So she ended up passing. The day that my grandmother passed, I was at her bedside And one of the girls from the job called me and said, yo, they just laid us off today. Mm. And I was like crying, but I was happy. Cause I said, my grandmother just said she wanted me to quit this job. And the day that she passed, literally 15 minutes after she took her last breath, y'all calling me telling me we just got laid off. Right, right, right. And I'm like, again, divine order. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. that happened. My mom has a um, mastectomy Mm -hmm. and boom, Will Smith gets killed. Mm. Now I talked to Will the day he got killed and he was like, I just wanted to tell you, I'm proud of you. I love you. Like we out here at this festival having a good time. And I was like, dang, he hadn't called and said that in a long time, but I think he was drinking and he was like, I love you. Like you're my, you're my girl. Like I'm proud of you. He was with his wife. They were, you know, getting ready to go have dinner and I'm like I just landed in Atlanta I'm about to have a good time out here I'll call you later and I woke up it was actually two days before he was killed and then two days later I woke up to the news that he was killed that that sent me in like a spiral so I'm also already living in fear not wanting to work in my purpose I'm dealing with death but hadn't really dealt with it yet And then one of my closest friends gets killed. And all all of that's happening. I'm dating and then I go through a heartbreak. I took my ass straight to therapy. I said, because ain't nothing. I don't know what a prayer is going to do at this point. I love God, but this ain't working. I don't understand why all of this bad stuff is happening to me. I don't understand why these relationships, I'm a good person, why these relationships keep failing. I need a therapist to tell me what's going on. And when I went to therapy, it wasn't about not one man. It was really about dealing with trauma, like childhood trauma, just things that I had experienced. And I didn't realize it. And then like my first love, that heartbreak. And I was like, I couldn't get out of bed for two days after talking about that. And I'm like, I know I forgave him. I know I'm over this. Um, But it was dealing with that trauma. And that's how I got to therapy. It was a heartbreak that had me like, over the edge like take me to the hospital and I was so jacked up my therapist told me she was like yeah I'm gonna ask to see you three days a week and I was like me what happened to like the one day she was like no three days a week for an hour and a half that's how jacked up I was so, but nobody had ever like mentioned anything to you about therapy before you just said, you know what, I got to go talk to somebody about this. Nobody. Like I was laying in my mother's arms, bawling, crying. Like I need to go to therapy. I need help. Yeah. And my mother was like, you want me to help you find one? And I was on like crying, like looking it up. And I, I found a black lady and I was adamant about having a black lady. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's that, that that's powerful. I mean, even even from the even from the standpoint of like, 
your mother was just, you know, she was open enough to say, man, you know, we can, we can do this together. Right. Because again, coming up, coming in black households and, you know, us not necessarily being educated on the impact of therapy and and mental health and trauma specifically, Mm -hmm. you know, listen, if I would have mentioned going to therapy to my people back in the day, boy, you better go pray to Jesus. And that would have, <laughs> right, you know, right. That's just, you know what I'm saying? You better go pray to Jesus, go work out, do something, you know what I'm saying? Do something, go around something to get your mind off of it, so to, so to speak. So it's so cool that your, that your uh, introduction into therapy actually came, you know, in a very health, healthy way. So what was your, what was your, what was your experience, experience in therapy early on? Um, I cried <laughs> maybe for three months straight. I cried. Every, Not, all, every uh, all, all three days a week, you was crying every all day. All three days a week. You had to get that we, out. Yeah. We got to that first heartbreak. It was like, I was like, I ain't coming back for the rest of the week. Mm-mm. Like I, I stayed in bed mm-hmm. um, and I was so depressed that it was eating up the, my inside. So the lining of my stomach was torn because I was so depressed. Like I was throwing up. Um the lining of my throat was torn from the acid from throwing up so much. I couldn't get food down. I was jacked up. And I think that's why my therapist was like, nah, I need to see you every chance we can get because you got to heal from the inside. That's why you can't eat. That's That's powerful. Yeah. So when I say I cried for three months straight, three days a week, I'm just talking about boohoo crying. One day my therapist said, well, what you crying for now? I don't know. I don't know if it's because I feel better or if I, I just still feel a mess. Like it was serious because again, I think I, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I was a person, I'm a person or I was a person who, if I was feeling something, I wouldn't tell nobody because I'm such a fixer and I'm got to keep everybody else, you know, um, feeling good and taking care of everybody else that I didn't know how to take care of myself. Like, I just didn't understand the concept of self-care. I felt guilty doing stuff for myself at times. Especially if somebody if somebody that I'm close to needed something or needed me, I felt guilty. I didn't know how to tell people no. I know how to tell them no now. No, I'm straight. I'm cool. I don't want to do that. Mm-mm. Nope. It doesn't feel good. That's a, you know? um, that's a powerful lesson, you know, in, in, in healing, you know, mm-hmm. in the importance of self-care. And, and, and self-care is much more than, than spa days. It's much more than getting yourself, you know, dressed nice, you know what I'm saying? Getting your hair cut, what, what, you know, things, things that are on the surface. Self-care is very much being intentional about your time and you know, mm-hmm. you listen. We can't pour from empty cups, right? You, you, you know, right. You know what I'm saying? I can't. I can't pour into somebody else's cup if, if mine is empty, right? And 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 that's just the that's just the, the the facts of the matter, you know. And and the thing about that is, when you learn to communicate that with individuals, the people who understand that are the mm-hmm. people that you want to keep around. The people who give you a yeah. hard time about that. That shows you where you stand with that individual and where and where their mindset is. And 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 going back to what was something that we talked about a little bit earlier with our control, we can't control everybody's response to us wanting to take care of ourselves. You know what I'm sure saying? Can't. We gotta, we gotta can't look at that do what it's gonna be. You, 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 you know what I'm saying? But this what you said about healing from the inside out, 
it's mm-hmm. it's it's so so powerful, you know, in in the um the stage of of healing. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a big believer that my my wife is 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 big on just doing things holistically, mind, body, spirit. Right. You know, what I'm saying there is no there is no no outer um no no outer production without doing the things in in right. So it's so it's so 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 powerful, you know that that you said. I know you said it. Listen. I'm still going to therapy to this day, you know what I'm saying? So that's that's a that that's that's a that's a beautiful thing. And sometimes thing. I don't have an issue. Sometimes it's just like Yep. No, I got all of this on my plate yep. and so that I don't have anxiety or so that I can really be productive. Like yep. what how do you think I need to handle this stuff? Or how do I handle conflict in the workplace? Like this person pissed me off or how do, what's the best way to have tough conversations? Cause I know I don't always say stuff right. I, I'm one of those people. They be like, don't say that around Patrice. Patrice gonna tell you like it is. I say what's on my mind and I'm not sugarcoating it for nobody, right? So, but sometimes you can't do that with everybody. So I'm learning not to, sometimes I need to be a better listener, you know? How do I listen without jumping and say, you need to do X, Y, and Z because I might see the best outcome for you, but maybe you just wanted somebody to listen to you. So I had to go to therapy for all of those things, you know, and then we end up in therapy for stuff that our parents did and our grandparents did. Yeah. 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 I, I know I've been in therapy for some of that. hundred <laughs> percent. That's for real, for real, that is what therapy, you know, listen, you can, you have to go to therapy for those exact reasons. I mean, um, it's like, it's like my therapist told me one time, uh, you know, early on when I was going, um, because I'm a social worker in my day to day. And she was, okay. like, she was like, John, you know, we don't land in the social service realm by accident. You know, we, we've been, we've been through stuff, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, 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 but I, I can feel the impact of like, you know, me being intentional about my own healing how that's trickled down into, you know, my father or, you know, my <laughs> siblings and my homeboys, you know, we have open dialogue and things like that about healing now. Like, you you feel me? Like, that's just not, yes. that, that just wasn't the typical type of conversation five, 10 years ago, you know? So to see those type of things, you're talking about really healing villages and that's, right. that's really, really, really what it's all about. So that's so far. So where I know, like, and I, I say it, I just said it yesterday. Listen, I know I got some toxic traits. Like, I know how to get what I want. So it's sometimes I have to take a step back like, now, nah, Patrice, now you know you ought to be ashamed of yourself. No, just stop it. And, you know, for people, sometimes it's hard to apologize. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you have those moments. And I'm one of those people, I don't want to do a whole lot of talking when I need to start thinking mm-hmm. about how how I'm moving forward and things I need to say to either fix something that I've done or calmly deal with a situation that has been done to me. You know, like I'm learning not to react how I used to react because there's a cause and effect for everything. Um, so I'll take a moment just to sit in silence with what somebody said before I respond. And I might take a day yeah. because I'm like, let me just play this out in my head or let me read this text message over again. Because, you know, sometimes you'll read something and you'll just react or you'll hear somebody say something and you're not really listening. I learned all of this in therapy. Sometimes you have to start asking 
you know, questions. So what I'm hearing you say is, you know, um, or sometimes you just need to think about what a person is saying to you instead of being so defensive. Yeah, listen, listen, listen to understand, you know, being, yes. a, being a little bit more empathetic. Yes. And um, then I, well, my grandmother always taught me taking my shoes off to put somebody else's shoes on yeah. to have an understanding of them. Right. Um, but, you know, people have to really be willing to like open up so that you can have a better understanding of them. Right. You right. know, so therapy has taught me so much. Um, and I, I too was once in the social caseworker um, and that boggled me down. I tried to do that and do my job. And I said, oh no, uh-uh. they keep giving me these kids. And the kids was like, can I come live with you? Yeah. Like I, I, and I would give them that tough love, but it was like, can I come live with you? And I, had, I remember having to put one of my kids, send her to the detention center on Thanksgiving because I'm like, listen, you can't be trying to do, try to do this to your family. Like, no. Right. Um, so I tried to do that and I was like, listen, I love kids, but I, I can't do this because it was boggling me down. And mentally I wanted to like, why can't I help everybody? I see exactly why she's this way because her mother is this like, and I said, girl, you can't save the world. Like you, you gotta save yourself. Um, so therapy, you know, therapy was just, it's so valuable to me. Um, and I tell people all the time, if you got friends and y'all going through something in your friendship, go to therapy, yeah. go to therapy with your sisters, your brothers, go to therapy with your parents. Yeah, that's right. No normalize it. Normalize. Yeah. Normalize it. Like it's okay to go to therapy because maybe we don't communicate the same and you don't hear what I'm saying. I don't hear what you're saying. It's okay. 100%. Talk to me about, talk to me about element, element 13. Like what, what is element 13? What, what does that, what does that look like? What does it, what does it mean to you today? Um, oh, so element 13, um, is a marketing and event management company. Um, Ashley T Taylor is the owner of element 13. Um, as I was transitioning back into, you know, this industry of sports and entertainment, um, she has started, I met Ashley because I was mentoring her um, when she was coming out of college. Um, and then when she moved back to Cleveland, what they try to do to women, especially black women is pin, each, pin us against each other. So we had a situation where, you know, some individuals were trying to pin us against each other and she can do this and he can do that. And, you know, it was just a mess. Right. Um, and, but Ashley was the same every time I, I would see her out, you know, and I, again, okay, we gonna let that go. We're black women trying to do it, um, in the city and then outside of the city. And I'm one of those people. I don't think local, like I really think global. Um, and, once I kind of got my feet back in the, the door, I'm, I also don't believe in doing stuff that I'm not good at. Um, I can do things, but if that's not my expertise, let me hire somebody who can. And so I had an opportunity with Shawnee O'Neal, who was a client at the time, and it was for an event. And I called Ashley up. I said, Ashley, you're great at events. 
and I want to give you this opportunity. It's pro bono, but you'll be on TV. And I think this is something good that will in turns bring you more money. So she was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, after she did the event, she executed very well. Um, we ended up talking just to sit down and talk about the opportunity. And she said, hey, why don't you start coming down here? And I'm like, man, I done worked with women. I've had some bad, um, I don't want to say bad, but I've had some experiences that I wish I could have, you know, done without. And I was really fearful to work with another woman. Like, I'm like, maybe I shouldn't. Um, and I started just going down to Spaces and Co. And just kind of filling her out because I knew she has something that I needed in a partner. And I needed a partner just as strong as me. I needed a partner if I needed a day or two off, she could handle everything. So we just kind of like really start building trust with one another and getting to know one another. And it was tough because we we're both alpha females. And she like, okay, you good at this. I'm good at that. We're both bossy. So we have to find a balance. Um, and then we just became partners, you know? We talked it through what this, what does this look like? You know, where are you trying to take your career? And I'm like, by the time I'm 40, I want to be retired from doing this. And I want to be producing and directing films. And she was like, okay, so you want to end up in LA? And I'm like, yeah. And I was just explaining to her, here are the clients that I know I can bring in. Here are the people who I'm connected to. And we really start building that way. And we would go out to eat probably two or three times a week and getting to know each other. Um, and then we went through some things where it's like, I got your back. And she realized I had her back and I realized she had mine. So it took time. We actually just talked about it <laughs> a few days ago. We talked about us both having that fear, her having that fear of kind of relinquishing her baby and saying, okay, this is my partner. She's also a decision maker. And then me having the fear of just working with another female. Yeah, yeah, listen. I'm a firm believer of facing fear. Yes. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like facing fear is, I, I do affirmations with my child, with my, with my okay. son. And facing fear and being fearless is one of the top two and three that we talk about every every day. You know, he only 11 months. He can't understand me. But his little spirit does. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's that's that that's that's very very important. I, I feel you hundred percent on that. Listen for the for the young up and coming entrepreneur, or even they don't even necessarily have to be young, but like mm -hmm. someone who's just trying to figure out their way, you know, in the in the um the space of entrepreneurship, looking to build brands and just looking to find their footing. Um, mm -hmm. even somebody that may even be an entrepreneur and have an early success like you once had. Um, and it's just coming a little too fast. What are some things that they can kind of like practice or put into place early on to kind of avoid some of those those pitfalls that you may have seen, but ultimately some things that kind of like save them some just lumps period down down, down the road? Mm. I know it's a loaded question. That is a loaded question. <laughs> so one I would say is so here, well, here's how I look at my year. So every year I write down what I want to achieve in that year, right? Mm -hmm. What projects I want to work on, what's on my wish list, right? Mm -hmm. And 
I do that for a few reasons. Um, one is to keep me on track, right? Two is because so many different things will come at you that look good. And sometimes when we're desperate to make something happen or we're desperate to meet a financial quota, we will jump at things that aren't for us. So stay in alignment with what you are supposed to be doing and your purpose. If it does not fit your purpose, if you can't quite see it, I wouldn't say jump at it. And I know most people will be like, but it might be a blessing in disguise. Like, yes, it could be, but it also may take you off track two to three years. Like I've been there before. You know, it was times where it was like, if you just stay the course and do what you know you're supposed to be doing, like, and I'm a firm believer when God gives you a vision, you have to do it. Like you have to do it. One, somebody else is going to do it if you don't. And two, you're going to take yourself off course of what he really assigns you to do. So you have to be in alignment with your purpose. You have to be in alignment with the assignment that God has for you. That is one of the most important things I can say. I don't take all clients. I don't take all opportunities. One, because some people are wasting my time. Even if they're paying, that's not your assignment. You shouldn't do it. And I say this all the time to like, Ashley, like this person may waste my time. And sometimes she's like, but they paying. Like, no, they're wasting our time. Like we have goals of what, what we're trying to do and where we're trying to go. And this person is wasting our time. It's money in the bank, but we're wasting our time. So you have to really like look at your assignment daily, weekly. Like, am I on the right track? And things may pop up. Like for us, we make an event that we didn't expect. So I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about taking on projects and taking on clients for me that don't fit into my assignment. Um, The next thing would be relationships. Relationships are more important than a contract. Relationships are more important than a dollar because I can have a relationship with you today. And if you say, you know, just checking in, hey, Patrice, how you doing? But I'm like, I ain't answering this phone. John don't got no money. Like he ain't about to call me about no check. Like, hey, what's up? Like if I have that attitude, I can ruin a relationship because you may be on the other end to look out for me five years from now. So relationships are everything in business because there's been plenty of times where somebody has said something negative about me and somebody on the other end was like, uh-uh, and that's not Patrice. Patrice come through every time I call her. That, mm nope. Or they said something negative and it's drawing people to me and they've said, that's not who you are. Like, I can't believe that person said that. And I'm like, listen, that don't got nothing to do with me. How you want to work? So relationships are so, so important. There are people who I can call on to this day who maybe I've never done anything for them. Maybe they've never done anything for me, but I always made them feel like you are just as important. Um, And then last but not leastly, do not be afraid to talk about money. Don't start working without a contract sign. I don't care if it takes two to three months to... (laughs) 
sign that contract or to get the details as they need to be beneficial for both parties. Don't start working because you're eager to start the job or you're desperate for the opportunity. And most people can, can discern desperation from, you know, somebody who really is confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been at situations where it was like, I'm so desperate from this. I, I need this. Like, this is what I want. Just a quick story with Mookie Betts. Like, I prayed for a baseball client in 2008. Pray. When I say pray, like, I just, Lord, send me a baseball client. He didn't send me a baseball client until almost 12, 13 years later. But I prayed for that. And I was so used to, you know, guys just signing on a dotted line and getting right to it. But with Mookie, like I had to go through the agents. We had to go back and forth. And at one point I was like, forget this. I don't want to work with him. Forget it. It's just too much. And then it was like, no, this is what you pray for. Just be patient. Like, but it wasn't happening as fast. And it was like, you're not about to act desperate or you're not about to just walk away for, from something you pray for. Like this is just business. So just understanding that you have to handle the business first before you start working. Mm-hmm. Nobody likes to talk about money, but I will tell you in the first two minutes, okay, I get it. Nobody likes to talk about money, but what's your budget before we start sharing ideas and getting getting excited about one another and wanting to professionally date one another to see where this can go. What's your budget? Because if your budget does not fall in line with me, then it's not going to work. And then the last thing is, it's okay. Like I said before, in my personal life, it's okay to tell people no. It's okay not to be able to do every single thing, not to be able to help every single person. It's okay. Don't feel guilty about it because when you're focused on your goals at hand and being aligned with what God wants you to do, you're going to tell some people no who even have great ideas. You're going to have to tell them no. That's powerful. That's that's that is that is that is very powerful. There's a lot of power in utilizing that word no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That is that is very powerful. Do you think that um do you think anybody can be an entrepreneur? No. Why? Everybody doesn't have an entrepreneurial spirit. What does that mean, Patrice? So I okay, so I say that. What, what does that mean? Um So I have some friends, Mm -hmm. creative, good at what they do, but some people don't want to stay up to the late night hours. Like I get people like, you working on your birthday? You working on the holidays? Like, yes, some people, and I'm not saying that you can't be an entrepreneur, but I'm saying that to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to do things that you don't want to do. You don't feel like doing. You have to put in hours that most people who work a nine to five aren't putting in. Mm -hmm. So I don't think everybody is an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I, I just don't think it. Some people were like born to be entrepreneurs, you know, like it's days where I'm like, that ain't me. Um, 
but I know how to maintain entrepreneurship. Like I know, okay. So when we get off this call, I have, I can't just go to bed. Like I got to work on something for a client that has to be done. Like they have to have this information before I go to sleep. So if that means I don't go to sleep tonight and I'm back in the office at eight o'clock in the morning, that's just what that means. You know, so I don't think everybody has the spirit to be an entrepreneur. Everybody don't have the spirit to be able to sacrifice things in, right. in, in, in the moment for the greater good. I think it can be, it can be learned. Okay. I'm not saying that you're not an entrepreneur, so you can never be an entrepreneur. I, I think it can be learned, yeah. but like an entrepreneur is just like wakes up like, okay. When I worked for CVS, I remember sitting there saying like, girl, as much as you was trying to run from that, you're going to have to face your fears because this, <laughs> right. this is not you. This is not you. And this morning, I didn't want to wake up to go into the office this morning. Right. I was like, Lord, I don't feel like dealing with none of this. And I sat at my desk for like an hour. like, ugh. And then I thought, okay, I can't flake on John today. I got to do this today. Like, really, Anthony would kill me. Like, I got to do this today. I went to work out. I rushed home. I showered. I threw on a little outfit. I put on a little makeup. And when you wasn't, when you weren't quite ready, we was having technical difficulties. I was like, oh, praise God. It oh, shit, me. I might not have to do it. <laughs> I'm like, praise God. It wasn't me. It was like, right. because I'm also too trying to stick to what I say I'm going to do. So if I tell you, you'll have this today or I'll be there, I'm trying to make sure that I show up for others. I want people to show up for me and that I, I stick to what I say I'm going to do. Even if I'm tired, there are just some people who can't even grasp that. So it can be learned, but it's every, it ain't for everybody. Yeah. It's just not mm -hmm. because it's one thing when you know what you're getting every two weeks or every week, it's another thing when you like, if I don't do this, right then this could ruin a check for six months. Right, right. You know, so I do want to get to a place where my money is working for, for me. You know, like I don't want to get to a place where, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, but I still got to do certain stuff for clients to get that check. Right. That's like working in corporate America almost, but it could end at any moment. Well, listen, Patrice, you have shown up for me today. Um, I, pre I appreciate you so much. Thank you for taking your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, I know you have mm -hmm. provided a lot of value. Um, I can't thank you enough again, and I don't take any of this, you know, lightly at all. Thank you. You have been wonderful. Um, before before we get out of here, I got a few, like, rapid questions I want to hit you with. Um, okay. And I'm going to go and continue your evening so you can get yourself situated to your client. Um, you know, so we, we're going to get you out of here in, in a minute. So listen, we in the, we in a brand new year. Um, I don't like new year's resolutions, but I love intentions. You know, what are your intentions for 2021? Well, one, that is my word for 2021. Ah, look at God. Look at God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Consistent, um, in all that I am doing. So intentional and just who I'm talking to, who I'm letting into my space. Um, but my intentions for 2021 are to personally um, 
was personally and professionally. Personally and professionally is to balance my personal life and my professional life and making sure that one is not more important than the other. Um, so that's very important to me is to have that balance. Um, I am being very intentional with my time this year because <laughs> I have wasted or allowed people to waste that time. And I'm being very intentional on how I speak to myself and what I say to myself. Um, so that's very, very important to me. And then just being consistent in every area of my life, um, consistent with my praying and, you know, consistent with my working out um, and that self-care, because that self-care is so important, consistent with my health and consistent like with my friendships. Um, that's that's what I'm I'm focused on. I have been so intentional about being successful, successful, successful. And it's one thing when you are getting deals done and oh I, I did this or I did that. But it's another thing when all those other areas in your life look a mess. That's not success. So I can look successful, but I want to be successful in every area. So what is your, what is your purpose and how are you currently living your purpose today? So about five years ago, I would have told you my purpose was to save my father's life. And about five years ago, I was like, okay, if that's it for me, I've served my purpose, right? Um, I think my purpose in this next season of my life is to share the knowledge that I have without the expectations of receiving something for sharing it. Um, I believe when you love without expectations, when you give without expectations, God opens doors that you have no clue were, that were even assigned to you. So that is I believe that is my purpose in this season is to share knowledge. And instead of walking away from people, like pouring into them when my cup is full, but pouring into them, loving on them without expectations. Yeah, oh, that's, that's what's up. What is something about you that people would be surprised to know? Mm. Mm. Something about me that people are surprised to know. Yes. Hmm. You can't skip. Ooh. <laughs> you know what? Well, I've already told you guys, like, people are always surprised when I say I donated a kidney, right? They're always like, really? So you only have one? Um, but you could have kept your Tupac part for this right here, but you already I could have. I definitely could have. I definitely could have. You gotta but, get something else now. Um hmm. Hmm, that's a good one. That's a real good one. I'm such an open book that I just, you know, I kind of tell people like, you know, everything, but um I think most people, no, they don't be surprised that I'm not married or in a relationship. They'd be like, oh, he worked a lot. I can see how. I don't know. Oh, let me tell y'all. Let me tell you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I did. I think I told y'all told you earlier that I never wanted to be a singer. I knew I wanted to go into business, right? <laughs> but I was in gospel choir and had a few solos. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, okay, okay, all right. <laughs> And so my mom used to cater for these plays, like the gospel plays. Mm. And Dottie Peoples was in one of the plays. Mm. And I walked up to her. This is how confident I was. <laughs> I walked up to her and was like, I'm going to sing you a song. <laughs> and I sang this song and my uncle and my sister joke about it to this day. And I sing this song. I sang this song to her like I was Whitney Houston. Oh, wow. I sound horrible. <laughs> so that is something that I have tried to do. Yes. Yep. That's something that I am embarrassed about. Okay. All right. What um what scares you? Not being loved properly. That's a good one. That is a good one. Do you have a favorite quote or favorite scripture? so I have a lot of scriptures that literally get me through but there was a, a quote that Usher used to always say and it stuck with me that probably was a part of molding me drivers mm -hmm. achieve and dreamers believe drivers mm. achieve and dreamers believe yes and honestly i used to be like i ain't about to just be sleep dreaming like i'm about to start achieving mm -hmm. and that would always like push me like you got to strive for it you got to do it you got to do it like i would tell myself that all the time so that was probably one of my favorite quotes that's good that's good if you could pick up the phone and call your 20 year old self knowing what you know today what would you tell yourself Girl, let that nigga go. <laughs> hey, I done had, I swear I've had at least, I've done like 25 of these podcast episodes. I've had maybe 10 or 12 women, and that has not been the first time I've heard that answer. So that is so, that is so funny. I don't know what it is about them early 20s, but it's usually, that's, that's been a typical answer right there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just like that. Hey, girl. <laughs> Uh-uh. Stop crying now. Uh-uh. Let that nigga go. Mm -mm. The real one ain't even about to show up yet. Right. Let him go. Right. That's a fact. That's exactly what I'll say to my 20-year-old. So. That is hilarious. That's a good one. Well, listen, man, tell us, tell everybody your social media tags, your, your, your website and things like that, how they can kind of get in contact with you, what you have coming up. Um, Just, you know, just, just where, where they can find you, where people can find you and things like that. So you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter um, at underscore Patrice Monique. Uh, you can find my company at Element 13. That's spelled E-L-M-N-T-1-3. You can find our website at element13.com. And um, y'all don't really need to find me on Facebook. That's just for my family to talk trash when we talking football and stuff. Um, but yes, that's where you can find me, Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, wonderful, Patrice. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much again. Like I said, I don't take it lightly. Um, I don't take it for granted. You have been wonderful. You showed up for me. Hopefully I did the same for you today. 
Yes, you did. It's been wonderful again. Everybody who has been supporting the podcast will continue to do so, please. The merch is available. We have hoodies available in different colors and sizes. Please contact me if you are interested. Um, Again, check us out on YouTube, the Live Your Purpose Podcast YouTube channel. Check us out on our audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. Again, 